How do you create a life? You don't have to only take what you're given. You have the opportunity, you get all the ingredients. What you do with it is your choice. Born in 92 on the block with the sharks. Come from a different cloth, y'all would get ripped apart. You want a diamond, then you gotta get it in the dark. We dropping nuggets like Carmelo went to Rucker Park. Now we eating from state to state, we scrape the plate. I put my eggs in the basket, took a leap of faith. I took a chance, now we grow and see the impact. Decoding success with special guests, now let's bring Matt. Hey everyone, welcome to the show. Matt Labrie here, your host of the top 1% globally ranked podcast, Decoding Success. And I hope you are ready for what we have in store for you today. We are joined by an individual that is high energy, high vibe, and it is absolutely impossible to not give her level 100 attention when she is speaking. We are joined by our friend, Forbes Riley, who mesmerizes audience with her authentic, inspirational style that is absolutely second to none. She is often referred to as Oprah meets Tony Robbins. As one of the pioneers behind the as-seen-on-TV infomercial phenomenon, Forbes has hosted 180-plus infomercials and guested on QVC and HSN, with more than 350 products generating more than $2.5 billion in global sales. I just want to repeat that. She has hosted 180 plus infomercials and has generated more than $2.5 billion in global sales. As a health and fitness expert, Forbes was inducted into the National Fitness Hall of Fame and is the creator and CEO of the fitness phenomenon Spin Gym. The product alone has sold more than 2 million units, and she has a team of worldwide brand ambassadors promoting workplace wellness to major corporations. We are diving into an array of topics. We have a lot in store for you. Like I said, I hope you are ready for the high energy Forbes is about to bring to the show. With that being said, without further ado, we are joined today by our friend Forbes Riley. Forbes, welcome to the show, Decoding Success. Super excited to have you. Your journey has been absolutely incredible. Excited to amplify it, learn more, and all of that good stuff. So welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you, my darling. I appreciate that. Absolutely. Now, I'm going to ask a somewhat biased question to start here. I know that you are from Long Island. Do you feel well, like you have... First clue. What was the first clue? I'm from Long Island. What are you saying here, right? <laughs> I love it. And we're going to talk about your energy too today because I love that as well. But do you ever feel like you had like a certain gift just from being, you know, close to one of the biggest cities in the world? That's an interesting observation. Where are you from? I'm from Queens. That's why I ask it. I'm biased. No one else in the world thinks like we do. All right. Yeah. <laughs> I'll tell you what, there is certainly an energy from New York City. There's an attitude. I lived in Manhattan for 10 years. I had 10 different addresses. I worked on Broadway, did soap operas, did what I wanted to do. I even had a moment where I stopped Walt. I stopped the stock exchange, and that's an interesting conversation. I don't tell many people. But I love where I came from. My soon-to-be husband is from Ohio. And I will tell you, there's a different energy in the middle of the country. I lived in Los Angeles. There's a different energy on the west coast of the country. And that happens all around the world. I lived in Toronto and Vancouver, somehow east and west. So there's definitely an energy. I will tell you that as Miss Teenage New York, when I was 16 years old, growing up the way I did with my culture, now my culture, we had Jews and Italians. It was pizza, pasta, and matzah. And we somehow figured it out or didn't. We didn't all this or get along all the time. And we all talk like this, right? You come on over for coffee, you're having some water, what, what? And, and, and we love each other. We talk with our hands and we eat with our mouths open and we have like a thing that we do, right? So it's 1977. I'm in Tulsa, Oklahoma. There's 49 other little beautiful girls who all want to be Miss Teenage America. And the girls from the South like, y'all have the funniest accent I ever heard. And I think I said, the fuck are you talking about? I have an accent. You guys are like weird here. <laughs> then I didn't know until many years later that my culture, uh, we take a bite of food and then we start talking. Yeah, that's not acceptable in other parts of the world. We eat chickens and lobsters. We eat things with our hands. And I learned the hard way about manners. And anyway, all I know is that I think when I finally moved to LA as an actress, I did really well because I have this kick-ass New York work ethic. We just GSD it. We get shit done and we take no prisoners. And people think we're rude, but we're not. I've been to Manhattan. It's just that there's so much going on. There's so much energy. You have to find your path and do your thing. Now you're from Queens. You know what I'm saying, right? Absolutely. Now, just to be clear, there are gifts from every place in the world, but you know, we're biased New Yorkers to an extent. That's why I had to ask it. But asked that before. It's a great question. I love that. Now, you mentioned you stopped the stock market. Yes, I did. What does that mean, though? Well, let's see. How old are you? I am 29. I had to think about that for a second. I'm 29. Do you remember a little thing in New York City? You probably don't because I'm a lot older than you called Stripogram. Did you ever hear no, of that? No, I do not. No. Well, just so you know, I delivered a little something to somebody on this floor of the stock exchange and it stopped for seven minutes. 
Yeah, it's, it's a bit of a long story, but I'm just going to leave that as a tease because I have a book coming out about this. So just hang tight if you want to know the truth about that. But the story, okay. I'll, let, I'll let you know what happened. I had a very unique way of making money. I've always been a very scrappy little kid who's done things that no one else could or should have done. And now that I'm turning 62, I get to talk about them because now I don't care. Something about when you're in your 20s, you care what everyone thinks. In your 40s, you don't really care what anyone thinks. And in 60s, you realize no one's actually thinking about you at all. Nobody cares. So I'm an actress in Manhattan and cute for 20s. And I didn't know I was cute, but I did get chased around a lot of desks. And I was very naive. And my mom was a virgin when she got married at 27. We had a very strict rule in our house about all of that. And I adhered to that. I was very mindful to my parents and you're supposed to lose your virginity to the man you married. And I was cool with all that. And when you don't think about sex like that, you have a lot of extra time. I graduated college with two degrees in three years. Wow. The answer, no sex. And I'm not kidding because if you're so devoted to those kind of energies and always chasing the boys and chasing the girls going out and partying, you're not getting things done. And I never did any of that. And no one told me I needed to. It was my own moral compass. I took from my mom, I took from my dad, and I took from society, and I made some rules and decisions for myself, which I urge everyone to do in business. When you're a very successful business person, or not, you should have a business plan. Most entrepreneurs have no plan whatsoever, and I know that I coach many of them. I've had 10,000 students since last July. No business plans are coming through my office, mm. which is ridiculous. But within a business plan is your mission, your vision and your core values. And I didn't realize any of this, but I am now a speaker. I speak on large stages and I've had a chance to look back and analyze, how did I get here? Who am I and why am I any different? And a lot of it came down to my core values and they were tested all over the place. And I was very impressed with how I sustain most of them to this day. You know, when I pass them on to my kids, whether that is showing up, integrity, giving your word, not being promiscuous. And again, that means something different then than it does now, but it was my moral compass. So I had people push, you know, chase me around the desk, couldn't find an agent that I loved. Even though I'd starred in a couple of movies, I started in my very first audition, audition for a movie called Splatter University. Come on, you've seen it, Matt, right? I actually haven't. I haven't seen it. Yeah, write that down. Splatter University with a school I got you. It was a, it was, it's a big cult favorite, actually. To this day, it's more famous than it was when we shot it. And I did a bunch of other movies, but I couldn't find the right agent to represent me. And so one day I just woke up. I didn't have any coaches. My mentors live in my head. I said, you know what? I'm going to hire a woman. I'm going to create a thing called CMA. I got a piece of stationery. Now that would be like getting a website, but back then it was stationary. Wrote CMA on it, creative management for artists. I did a DBA and I hired a woman named Lindsay Maxwell. And Lindsay was from England and she was an old actress herself and she was just devoted to Forbes Riley. And she'd get on the phone going, yes, no, no, you need to see Forbes. No, she's wonderfully talented. No, did you know that she could do this, 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 and this? Well, I was Lindsay Maxwell. And so there I am being my own manager for three years. And I booked everything because I could sell me better than anyone else could sell me. Oh my God. I was terrified that somebody was going to find out and like ban me from the business. No one ever found out. I got commercials. I got Broadway shows and I worked on two soap operas. I was my own manager. I love that. A lot of questions off of this. Firstly, I want to actually potentially tie in that scrappiness that you had. You mentioned you were scrappy. Was that just from being from New York or was it like an upbringing thing? Like, was there a struggle in the household or what was it? So I have two of the most wonderful, loving parents. They loved each other, but had massive issues in that my dad came from a very wealthy family and my mom was stunningly beautiful, but from the wrong side of the tracks. So when she met my dad and they wanted to get married, my dad got disinherited and his mother, the dynasty queen, I mean, she, my grandfather, my great grandfather built a lot of Manhattan. I didn't know any of this. I never reaped any of the benefits from it, but I've seen lots of pictures of him and he was extraordinary. I mean, we're talking skyscrapers and she had that. There's a picture of her in that weird Rolls Royce with a fur coat on and where the driver's got the open area. It's like, wow. But she disinherited. She hated my mom. My mom stole her son, whatever that means. And so they never talked. There was real war going on there. And it just became about me, my sister, and my parents. We had no other relatives. My mom's an only child. My dad had a brother we never talked to. So I have no grandparents. Everybody died before I got there. And so we had this bond with us and we knew that we were different. Now I'm talking, my dad was a magician. He was an inventor and a mechanic. And we had these crazy conversations, hated sports, never watched a game in our lives, but we would do magic tricks. We would take apart clocks. We built, I built my first computer when I was eight years old. I was wickedly smart and my dad loved this because I mean, I did linguistics when I was seven years old. I did some crazy shit and my parents and I were best friends. I was also, Matt, a very ugly little girl. And this was a weird thing for me to now comprehend. I had a I had an issue with my palate and my teeth were all weird. And so I had wore braces for eight years. 
Now, that's not typical. They put a little eight-year-old girl in braces until I was 16. And then they, for a little while, they had to put a pin on a tongue thruster. And for two years of my life, I talked like this. Or that will hamper your social life. Then I ran into a baseball bat when I was eight years old. And I broke my nose. So I have this weird-ass nose. My teeth are all silver. I've got headgear. I'm a little chunky. My mom was a little overweight. Fast food was there. And I had big, fat, frizzy black hair. Wow. Lucky me, right? I didn't pay as much attention that I just did. I didn't have any friends. I had my parents, I had my schoolwork, and I had movies and television. And I right. dreamed a lot, and I went to dance class, even with my big chunky thighs. I was a good dancer. And I just dreamed. I just dreamed that my life, as much as I had love, I wish I just dreamed it was different. I just wished that I lived in the big house. I wanted those things because I could see the movies where they had them. And I could also empathize with the girl on the wrong side of the tracks who didn't have these things. And so in my mind, I did. And I will tell you, as an adult throughout my entire life, you get what you want. I wanted to be James Bond. I got that in my head. I wanted to be, I wanted to live a life where you could snow ski and water ski. And, and I've done all this. I've also done some undercover work. I mean, I took this very seriously and I've led a crazy, amazing life. I helped start the X Games for ESPN. I'm like, really? With Stuart Scott? I gave Kim Kardashian her start in television. I've done a lot of crazy shit. And you're like, really? So because I wanted to be James Bond, I wanted to be able to live a life. And as an actress, you do that. You get to play other characters. So you legally get to pretend you're someone else. And I've been in major plays. I've been all kinds of people. And then I did this undercover work for a while because I thought this was the coolest thing ever. So I just led a life that was what I wanted. Nobody seemed to care. I left the house. I graduated college two degrees in three years. I was out by the time I was 20. I said to my parents, I love you for investing in me. They wanted me to be a lawyer. They thought. I said, nah, it's not going to happen. I'm going to be an actress. And landed the lead in my first movie. I mean, I had another crazy story I don't share a lot. One of my close friends, I lived in a Hell's Kitchen in New York City in a four-story walk-up over a Chinese restaurant. My neighbor, they also lived on the top floor, were a bunch of guys. And we all used to bartend in Broadway theaters. That was like the day job because you could also second act the show. You could see the plays that you couldn't afford to go to. Well, one of ours was a weird writer. He used to sit in the middle of, the, of his apartment all the time and just write. I was like, God, you're so strange. And we were both sucky bartenders. One day I come home from a trip that I was doing and I came home and he's like, yeah, you know, uh, one of those plays that I did is now going to be on Broadway. I'm like what? He's like, yeah, it's called A Few Good Men. I'm like, congratulations. I saw it. It was wonderful. Tom Hulse was in the play. It was nice. I come home from another trip and Aaron says, yeah, it's going to be a movie with Tom Cruise and Jack Nicholson and Demi Moore. And you're like, I'm sorry, what? Now, if I played my cards better, Aaron was cool. We've spoken since. He's lovely, but he won an Academy Award for Social Network. And I believe he's the creator and director of the new Lucille Ball movie. That was my crazy neighbor. Wow. Look at that. I know. I have a lot of these stories. I love that. I'm compelled to ask, you know, you mentioned that you didn't feel like you had outer beauty in your, you know, in your upbringing, but did that help you focus on the inner beauty that you do have without a doubt? Well, I didn't, I don't, I didn't think I had any beauty going on. And I, you know, it helped me focus on, you know, it's a funny thing. I don't even know how to put it on the perspective because I'm me. It's not like I'm writing a book about someone else. But when I was 15 years old, my dad slipped and he had a horrible accident. He cut off the whole front of his left hand and he spent three years in the hospital, 15 operations, rebuilding his hand. And it destroyed my mom, my family. We had no money then. We had no money at all. And I was 15, I was like 16. And my mom says to me, you know, we have no money for college. I'm really sorry. Really? She then said, and this is so strange, she said, but there's this beauty pageant that's coming to town. And we looked at each other and was like, that's too bad, right? I'm like, yeah, I don't know. My dad's doctor offered to fix my nose. Now, by the way, can I share my screen? I, I, do, you people, do people see this as only an audio podcast or they also see visuals? Both, both. We're going to put this on YouTube as well. Yeah, let me share a screen and I'll just, I'll give you a cup, one or two visuals because I think, I just, I love telling these stories because they're so bizarre and fantastic. But if you let me share you that. You should be good. Yeah, you should be good. There you go. Yeah, I'll give you a quick little picture of that. So my dad's doctor offered to fix my nose. Now, this is the weirdest thing. I didn't know 15-year-olds could even have nose jobs, but I did. And literally overnight, what was this weird-looking girl magically changed? I don't even know if this makes a good movie because how do you even, you know, magically changed? Oh, good for you, right? That's what happened. And I looked in the mirror and I said, I'm going to enter this beauty pageant. You know, I'll show you this picture and you'll go, wow. And I know everybody goes through an awkward stage. This was more than awkward. This was downright nasty looking. I'm going to find this picture. And what happened was... It's worth the wait, I promise. All right, so here you go. 
So there's my dad holding me up in the air. I was definitely the pride and joy of his life. We had a very tiny little three-bedroom house in Long Island. There's my mouth with the little issue in the center of it. And there's the braces that I wore for eight years. There's my tongue thruster, a thing I talked about that made me do that. Right. Uh, and it was me. And again, I would never look at anybody and say they were ugly. But I know this girl, and she hated how she looked. She had a big, crazy, weird nose that she kept wanting to push in. Fat, fizzy hair, overweight, you know. And my smile kind of upside down. Well, there's my dad in the printing press that caused the accident. And overnight, one little change in your appearance went from this girl to this girl. Okay. And what you see in this picture is this girl looks a whole lot happier. She has bigger eyes than the girl over here. My smile went from upside down to right side up. And I just, I think I wanted my nose to be fixed for eight years. I mean, finally, I was like, oh my gosh. And I got enough courage. I got a rented hand-me-down blue chiffon dress that made me feel like a princess. And I wanted to win. I remember the moment there were 500 girls in the auditorium the first time we met about this thing. And I'm holding my dad's good hand. We walk in there and I remember thinking, one of these little girls is going to be on TV with Bob Hope. And it's going to be me. That's weird. Except... I won the local competition. We're literally in the middle of a mall here. And when I won this, and then I went on to Tulsa, Oklahoma, and there I am with Bob Hope. And you're like, all right, you did it. Now here's the crazy thing, Matt. That was the worst week of my life. Why was that? Because I didn't fit in. If you notice, I'm a little chunkier than your average beauty queen. I didn't have very good manners. I was outspoken and I'm from the weirdest state in the union called New York. If you, We're in Tulsa, Oklahoma in the 70s. And they just would not... Anyway, it was fascinating what happened, but I got through it. And I believe that you're the sum of the obstacles you overcome. So I learned a lot about equality, about how I wanted to be treated, about what I would do if I ever got into power. I ended up graduating college. There I am with my mom, who was always fighting her weight, which is one of the reasons I'm in the health and fitness industry. And I went on to create the version of the person that I wanted to be. And I became her. In fact, my name when I was growing up was Francine Forbes. And we created Forbes Riley. Forbes Riley is my married name. But, you know, it was how do you create a life? You don't have to necessarily give, you don't have to only take what you're given. You have the opportunity. You get all the ingredients. What you do with it is your choice. I watched a lot of movies. I knew that people lived differently around the world. And I wanted to explore those. I wanted to see more than my tiny little town. And my mom and dad, they never wanted to leave. They were very housebound. They were very quiet, shy little people. And I thought, there's more and I'm going to find it. And I made an entire life finding it. I love that. Now, again, so many questions here. I'm curious, you know, you mentioned that you didn't feel like you fit in. Did that make you feel, I don't want to use the word worse, but yeah, I mean, like, did you feel like an outcast or did you embrace it? Well, I think I was partly an outcast. I was very smart. This is another thing to kind of acknowledge from the outside in. I have a very high IQ. I think fast. I talk fast. And I solve problems very fast. And I'm a magician. And I would rather... And also, I discovered that introverted extroverts don't like small talk. Okay. So when people would get together to chit chat, I couldn't do it. I would leave. I was always very uncomfortable. So I realized that like, if, we, if you and I were doing a school project together... I would say, Matt, you go hang out with the girls. I'll just get us an A. Would that be okay? And I would just do it. I was like this workaholic. That's where I found my joy. And so I kept thinking that more people were having more fun and they're going to parties and hanging out. But I was probably fine not doing all those things. I honed my magic skills. I honed my dancing. I danced on Broadway. I'm a roller skater. I, I just did solo sports and I just didn't have time for little girls who were chit-chatting about boys or boys do it. I always talked to adults. And again, I it's a combination of not necessarily knowing what you don't know. When I was 20 years old, I looked at my mom. I just finished starring in a first movie and I had a couple of thousand dollars. And I said, mom, I'm going to go see Europe. And she was like, you're going to what? I said, well, here's the deal. I have this book called Europe on $20 a day. And I'm going to tear out every page when I see the site and come home when I have the cover. And she's like, what are you doing? I said, well, the guy in the book said I could do this. I bought a URL pass, which I ended up forging three times. I got enough money to get there. Please just bank up some money so you can bring me home. There was no cell phones. I had no idea. Who knows what was going to happen? I drew a map of Europe, starting in England, going down the west side of France, all the way to Spain, the south of France, all the way down to Italy. Who knew you could take a boat over to Greece? Seven or eight months later, I came home. And I said to my mom, I said, I have this vision, mom, of me being 83 years old and telling kids and grandkids the most amazing story of my life. Now, excuse me, because I have to go write that story. And that's what I've done. Mm. We're talking, I mean, I jumped off a moving train in Figuera, Spain to see a Salvador Dali museum. I was just, whatever the adventure is, let's explore life. And then she said, well, aren't you going to go with anybody? I'm like, why would I go with anybody? I was, now this is, maybe this is a little schizophrenia. I was my best friend. I could converse with myself. I don't, I love being alone. In fact, I hated, I was awkward. Like if you wanted to go to the beach and I want to go to the movies, I'm like, I, I don't want to negotiate here. I just want to go to, I want to go where I want to go. And I had a journal. And I had music and I made, met lots of people along the way, made lots of adventures, ate great food. 
I never realized that other people didn't do that. Who else goes by themselves? All what's right. Yeah, what's your advice for people to befriend themselves in the way in which you did? Because oftentimes people don't want to be by themselves these days. And in fact, when they are by themselves, they'll make sure they numb out so that they can, you know, just let that experience go by quicker. They'll scroll their phones, which, you know, in moderation is cool. They'll pop open a bottle of wine and drink a full bottle of wine. Again, in moderation, it's cool. Like you befriended yourself in such a beautiful way. What's your advice to do that? I thought I was the coolest. I, man, I had so much fun with me. Because I looked at all the other, this is terrible to say, but I'm, I was smarter than all the other kids that around me. And I knew it. And I used to make up stories. I used to tell these fantastic, I was like a combination of an actress and a liar. And I would come, I would tell them places that I'd been and adventures that I had. And it was always about like, I was the center of attention rather than be friends with people. I had to be about me. Trust me, that served me well, because that's been my entire life. You don't get to be Oprah or Tony Robbins if you don't realize there's something special about you. And it's not meant to be conceited or weird. People would say, for there's this wall around you. You know, you're the only one that you have at the end of the day. And you do have several parts of you. You And I've studied a lot of hypnosis, a lot of, a lot of NLP work, but you have the moral compass of you. There's a good side and a bad side, and I can visualize both of them. When I want to do something, the good one's like, oh, really? You're going to do that? And the bad one's like, come on, let's do it. I'm like, shit, all right, I got to figure this out. But I would, a pen and a piece of paper were always my best friends. I have journaled for decades. I have... I've saved all of them. I have tons of journals and I love learning. So if I'm alone, there's a book. To, I would have books everywhere. I'd rather go read a book and be quiet or sit in a movie theater. I could watch a movie a day. Like I am committed to movies and television series. And I listen to all these very successful people say, oh, well, turn off the television. I'm like, no, you don't understand. Those are my best friends. I could get inside of a movie and live there for the entire two and a half hours. I can remember times when I would end up in the hospital for whatever. I've had several operations and things. Turn on the TV and I know it's all I'm fine. Like I just need that. You know what? A lot of it goes back to how you started this life. You came into the life, everybody's pretty much the same. Woo, we're here. Bam, you're a boy. Bam, you're a girl. Bam, you're Catholic. Bam, you're Jewish. Bam, you're this. All of a sudden, you get slapped with these labels. That's your mom. That's your dad. This we're gonna. Well, shit. If you could kind of go back to the beginning and go, wait a second, before they slapped all those labels on me, who am I? Most people can never detach from a lot of the things they've been slapped with. And do you grow into them? What parts of it do you like? I do not practice the religion that I was born into. I practice whatever I want to practice. I develop my own sense of spirituality. I went off to live on an ashram for a while. I went on a beautiful path of self-discovery because I always thought that the this, without all the that, was the most important. How deep can you go? How how high can you go? How spiritual? How expanded can you go? I've chanted in India and I've, 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 that seems to be what life is. And all other people want to do is follow rules. I have an allergy. I'm only allergic to one thing and it's authority. I cannot stand... <laughs> No, it's, I don't like authority on any level. I never did. As soon as you tell me I have to do something, my first question is why and why pisses off people. And I've always been that way. And I have lots and lots of examples of that, which have, again, have made my own little world. Anyway. I love this. I absolutely love this. I actually want to backtrack a little bit. And I, I find this, or I'm at least really curious about it. You talked about having the kind of like no sex policy instilled in you. And I, I mean, listen, it could be a distraction, right? Guys chase girls, girls chase guys, whatever, you know, to each their own. Do you live by that? Not necessarily oh, the no oh, sex. Oh God, no, no. Let me tell you that, that. That, by the way, that was good when I was in my teens and my twenties. Here's what you know. It's, it's a funny thing that happened. I never believed I needed another person to complete me. Okay, I was okay. complete all by myself. I was fine, and I also didn't. Wa I was more fearful of getting pregnant and disappointing my parents because I, when I was little, I did everything for their approval. Again, we all have our own reasons for doing things. I wanted my parents' approval. I didn't want to fuck it up. I thought I had, they were, they were just so loving and so wonderful and they didn't have a whole lot, but they just can't, I could, you know, my parents didn't drink at all. They didn't have a whole lot of friends. We were, it was just us. And I love that. Okay. So my parents, I didn't want to screw that up and I didn't know how to not get pregnant. Like I didn't understand all the things about sex because we didn't talk about it. And it's not like it is now. Let me tell you something. When I discovered the joy of sex, something very interesting happened because I discovered you don't have to be in love to have sex. I figured that out in my mid twenties. And it was really fun. And then I explored and had fun and played and was very careful, but it was a very different mentality. Although I did fall in love with my first boyfriend. And after four years, when we, I said, I can't I'm telling you this, but I, my life's an open book. I was dating this beautiful man. I met him when I was 21, lost my virginity, just loved him. He cared for me, everything you're supposed to have in that first romance. And about four years into it, I thought we're going to get married. And I said to him, oh God, I said, baby, I love you very much, but can, I, I have to ask your permission. I would like to have sex with somebody else. 
before we get married, maybe two or three, just to make sure that like, and I can't believe I'm saying this, right? And he's like, what? I said, well, you, you didn't meet me. You'd already played around because here's my fear that I'm going to marry you and I'm going to get curious about other people. And if I've never tried it, even if I don't like it, how will I know? And I don't want to die being curious. You know what he said? I love you very much. Let's break up. Oh, <laughs> he, couldn't, he, couldn't, he couldn't handle that. And I don't blame him because I was the girl for him. That's all he wanted. And I'm like, no, I have to, I'm only 24. Now I want to experience, I want to enjoy my life a little bit and have some fun. And yeah, well, anyway, I had a lot of fun. And then I met my husband at 31 and we were incredibly loyal. Again, loyalty is one of the most important things to me. And he was as well, but we had issues. We raised, we took in a little boy that we raised for 12 years who was murdered. And that's a problem that destroyed a bit of our, of who we are, our relationship. And then, you know, for when I was raising my, I had twins with, with, with my ex-husband. And again, I was devoted to my kids. I devoted my life to my kids the way my mom did that with me, only even better because I was older. I was 42 when I had my babies. And I had all these theories about how to raise them. Well, let me tell you something, Matt. Knock on wood, I have two beautiful 19-year-olds who love their mom and dad, who were not together, but they love us so much. My daughter runs my company. She's 19 years old. And in the first year of business during COVID, she grossed $1.2 million. Wow. Yeah. I think I made a very good investment. And I'm very proud of our relationship. And then when my mid-50s, I'd been single for a while. My my ex-husband and I split up. We separated, but we were always still friends. We're business partners. And at some point I'd been alone for a while and I don't know, everything gets convoluted with life. People hurt you, people do things, you allowed yourself to get hurt. I have a lot of different theories about all this, but I started teaching and coaching and I'm a big visionary. And I finally found myself saying in my mid fifties that I said, I wanna find my partner in life. I wanna find someone who is strong and special and courageous and amazing. And I made a very long list. And then one of the things that I said was, I want him to look like he walked off the cover of a romance novel. Now, I don't know many 50-year-olds who can wish for something so big, but my theory has been that I've, whatever I've wished for and manifested, on some level, I've gotten it. You know, God or the universe doesn't give you everything you want exactly the way you want it, when you want it, but with the right reasoning and the right belief system. And so something magical happened. I put out a list of what I wanted, and then I don't know if you know, but I have a, a fitness product and I was doing yep. a video. I was doing a video in my hotel room uh, in Vegas and my videographer just happened to say, hey, do you want a two-time Mr. Arnold come over and work out with us? I'm like, yeah, and I'd like a million dollars while you're at it. And he's like, no, I know this guy. He knocks on the door and in walks, well, I also watched too many Disney movies and really thought about Prince Charming, but in walks this guy who looks a little like he walked off the cover of a romance novel, doesn't he? And I thought that's a little too, first of all, I don't like fitness guys because they're, I told my kids, they only like three things, working out food and themselves. And he just happens to be the most amazing man in the world. And he pursued me for three months on the internet. And we got together and the first time, our first date really was, that was it, it was five years ago. And he is the absolute love of my life. He is my best friend. He is everything that I would want physically and beyond. I've never seen anybody as beautiful as him, present company excluded, but he is the heart of a champion. And his dad was killed when he was two. His stepdad was killed when he was 15. He has a powerful sense of loyalty. I know when he and I look at each other and we say that this is it for both of us, we're not joking. Like I've never been so clear and so sure of anything in my life. And he could have anybody he wants. I jokingly said something about, you know, are you like, what kind of type are you? He's like, Maybe I'm every girl's type. <laughs> I thought, that's so true. You're so true. And yet you pick somebody who's 17 years older than you. He's crazy. But then how right are we for each other? I found him at a time when he was going through a transition. But March, uh, sorry, January 2020, two years ago, he was on his motorcycle going to the movies on his own. I was away with my kids for a couple of days. And I get a call from the hospital saying, your Josh has been hit by a car. Get here fast. Oh, and the worst two and a half hours of my life, I get there. And luckily... He wears very expensive helmets, very expensive clothing. Whenever he would get on his bike, you know, you see, I'm in Florida, you see people who don't wear helmets and wear t-shirts. Well, this wasn't his fault. He was going straight and a kid just rushed out of a bank and bam, just shattered him, shattered his foot. If he had not been wearing a helmet in those clothes, he'd be dead. And then he laid in the hospital bed. And then six months later, this is what he looked like. He shriveled down to nothing, had surgery on his foot. He'd broken his ribs and he's got this walker. And he says to me, take a picture of me. I'm like, why? He said, because October, 2021, I'm going to be Mr. Olympia. And I thought, oh, baby, have you looked in the mirror lately? And you know what he did, Matt? He has a fitness program that he created for himself. And he built that body back to be better than ever. And, uh, and that's the love of my life. And we call it Forbesing it. 
What does it mean to manifest something, especially when no one else thinks it's possible? I love that. This is so powerful. I just want to clarify. You said that you made a list and I just want to know what was the list? Were you just like writing out characteristics you wanted to find in your ideal partner? I believe that you have the power to create anything you want, whenever you want. I'm quite the magician. I do actual physical magic tricks, but this power of manifestation and belief. So I wrote everything that I wanted, the height, the look, and I will tell you something that I did. I was so specific about this that I didn't know what he would look like per se, but I knew that he was so beautiful that every time I looked at him, I would have this feeling, right? And so I said, I want a power couple. And this is what I had on my wall. And I do exactly this. And it's the kind of, when it's funny, when you look at it, you're like, oh shit, how did you do that? Here. So I picked up pictures of people that I thought had the life that I wanted to lead. And so I looked at Cindy Crawford and her husband, Randy Gerber, and I thought, I want that. I want a power couple. I want to be, because I walk a lot of red carpets. I was always on my own. My ex never came with me. I said, I want this. See that? Right. When you looked at our picture, does it look a little similar? Absolutely. Right. I said, I want this couple. I want this power couple. Then I said, maybe I also want this couple. And I had them on my wall. And notice how I know exactly who they are. Because I was not joking about what I wanted it to look like. And I wanted this couple. I'm like, oh my God, they look beautiful and sexy together and amazing. And when you type in, and then there was another, I mean, I, I, that's how nuts I was. I literally wanted that energy, that feeling. When I look at Laird Hamilton and his wife, I'm all about doing research, leverage, and strategy. If you really want something, you go and get it. And so these three couples lived on my wall probably for a year. This is Laird Hamilton and Gabrielle Reese. She's a top model. He's a whatever, right? Uh, he's a, a surfing champion. And so now if you type in Forbes Riley, let's see what comes up. And Joshua Self, well, not enough publicly because we're not as famous as those guys, but I will go to my Google and show you exactly what I'm talking about because it was not a joke. And I looked at some of the pictures of us. I thought, oh my God, did you build what, did you get what you actually said you wanted? Like to the T and more. I'm like, yeah, yeah. So let's go to Joshua here. And I can put these four pictures up through those two couples and myself. And you're going to go, Forbes, you actually manifested exactly what you said you wanted. So somewhere over here is Joshua and Forbes. Oh, and speaking of that, he's here. But look at <laughs> but no, but when you look at us, right? Yeah. Doesn't it look like that? I see commitment when I look at all of the pictures that you're showing me. Oh my God, unbelievable. But all of these pictures of literally of the two of us, and I'm looking at all of them holding each other and the way we kiss each other, that it's just extraordinary. I said, that's what I had on my wall. Only he's a lot better than Randy. He's a lot better than any of the guys. I'm not as cute as Cindy Crawford, but who cares? I got the man <laughs> of my dreams. And we walk red carpets just like I had in my head. Yeah, it's incredible, Forbes. I absolutely love that. For anyone listening, though, like, well, what's your advice for them to find their ideal partner in life? Okay, number one, become that ideal person. Become that ideal person. Yeah, fall in love with you. I was very happy being by myself. I knew I wanted to be in love. I knew I wanted a crazy fairy tale. But I had to do some serious work on me. Because one of the problems with you as a person when you come to relationships is you bring the baggage of all your other relationships. Mm-hmm. And I do, a, I do a training called Breakthrough where I work with people to let go of past things that don't serve you. Is at some point in your life, if you're lucky enough, you go through some of this training, you never tell the stories the same way. You ever hear the stories of like, oh my God, when I'm my ex-husband, do at some point, they're just memories that don't matter. Why are you bringing them forth now? And if you do that self-development work, I'm a massive personal development specialist for other people and on myself. And everyone deserves to do that. I will say everybody needs to do that. So you go into a room, whether it's a seminar with me or anyone else, and you cry a little bit. You, you know, you yell and scream and blame your first grade teacher for calling you fat and get it out and get it over with. Because how nice is it to come to a new person as a whole person? I don't need you to fix me. I don't need you to do anything. When I met Joshua, I didn't need him. Now, here's the irony. That's not really true. Joshua taught me how to love in a way that I didn't think existed. Joshua has a very big, open heart. He's gone through massive tragedy, massive loss, and he's a purist. He just wants one person for the rest of his life. And not every, by the way, I've been in lots of relationships. I've experienced, you should experience life. Life is a smorgasbord. You know, there's great prime rib there, but go for it. Eat the shrimp, eat the turkey, eat the taco, eat whatever you want and live your life. And for a period of time, I was that crazy, fun person, weird. But then I realized at this moment in my life, I want stability. I want a love that is so pure and so deep. I've never felt like this, Matt. I'll tell you what, I I don't know that everybody gets this. 
and you put a lot of work into it. We wake up every morning and we declare our love for each other. We go to bed every night and we declare our love for each other. And But he taught me that I can't even express it. It's like if you've ever had something that was so delicious, you realize that all the other stuff you've eaten was good, but never that. And I tasted that. And a lot of it comes from him. And so I'm grateful to have met him. I wish that more men could learn from him. The level of respect he has for me. I'm not the youngest. I'm not the prettiest. I'm not the whatever. And I can walk around the gym and he's like, I don't want it. He's like, stop. There's nobody else. I don't see anyone else. And so if you could choose a person and pour into that person, and none of us are perfect. Josh is all like, I'm losing my hair. I'm like, dude, that doesn't matter. It's the inside. It's the everything that I've fallen in love with. It's the, I'm, it's 100% and 100%. It's not 50-50. Right. That's a beautiful thing. Forbes, I would be ridiculed if I brought you on here and didn't talk about pitching. <laughs> Yeah, let's get to the good stuff, man. Enough about her love life. Yeah, she got done. <laughs> you know, I'll get stoned for that. Absolutely incredible career. $2.5 billion in, I believe, like 170 infomercials. Am I correct? Do I have the numbers 194. right? 194. Oh, so it went up since the last time. Okay, very cool. For a new heart monitor, yeah. Very, very cool. I want to keep it personal, though. I mean, we could, we could go down the business route, but like we're, we're kind of on that personal track. So what does it take to pitch our... And we pitch all the time, right? We're selling all the time, especially when it comes to dating and relationships, so on and so forth. What does it take to pitch yourself to the person that you are targeting? Well, okay. It's a couple of things that are involved. So one, I think you need to do some self-work. You know, okay. one of the things I'm enjoying about this interview with you, and I've never met you before, but I like your style a lot. I think you can be a very good podcast interviewer, like, and I do two of these a day, just so you know. But you have a very good innate interest in the person you're talking to. I get a sense that you care about my story with a mind that it's what your audience wants to hear. That's a really important thing to do. That's what pitching is about. We're not on the phone talking to each other. We're not trying to date each other. So what is it, why, why is this man and woman having a conversation? Well, it's because we both know, and I think we're keenly aware that there's an audience listening. And so you're asking questions that you think they might be asking. So rather than just read the questions that you wrote last week that you wanted to ask me, you've been flexible and human enough to say, wow, Let's riff off that because that's the reality of the moment. Mm. People come to me all the time with a pitch. Hey, folks, can I give you my pitch? Hi, my name is so-and-so. Their voice is this plastic sounding thing. And this pitch is a thing that's not real. Well, I'll tell you what, Matt, you never know when I'm pitching and when I'm not pitching. It all sounds the same because I'm going to enroll you no matter what. There is no pitch. I don't start a pitch. I'll just simply pick up a pen like this and go, hey, you know what? And I'll go into my pitch or I'll pick, pick something we'll start talking about. I don't start the pitch. So a couple of key things to remember. One, stop talking. Start communicating. You know, even as I was telling my stories, I am at a point in my life now where I want to be sharing more stories because I think they have delicious life lessons. One of the lessons is maybe fairy tales can come true. Maybe if you build a vision board and believe it enough, you can find happiness. You know, I think those lessons are important for other ears to hear. I remember what it's like to cry myself to sleep at night, wondering if anyone was ever going to care about me. I get it. I know the darkest of dark. I buried both my parents. I know a lot of things. I also know that if you want a great fun life, it's like a roller coaster. If you want really high highs, my friends, you better be able to deal with the really low lows. Now you can have a straight roller coaster. My, like, you know, when my parents, that's what they had very straight. They didn't want to go up or down. It was just nice and even. That was fine. I don't want that. So I've had that share. And so one of the things when you're pitching is, what are you doing? So Matt, if I asked you, what do you do? What would you say? I make an impact through the show. That's the very simple way. I can keep going. Well, now think about this. The only at that moment, you actually want to get a yes from the person listening. Okay. You want to intrigue them in one sentence or two sentences as much as you can. When you, and by the way, why did you ask that question? Why did you answer the question when I asked you? Why did I? Yeah. Because you asked it and that's the, probably the proper thing to do. Right. As an adult, don't do the proper thing. Stop answering questions because nobody cares. When someone asks you what they do, nobody cares what you do. They really care what you can do for them. Okay. Very, I like where this is going. Yeah. It's a very important thing to know that. So you could have kept going, but I don't want you to keep going. I just want an answer that excites my ears. When people say to me, ask me what I do. What do you do, Forbes? Well, I could say that I'm a $2.5 billion host. I could say that I've hosted 194 infomercials, been an actress, been a whatever. I'm a wife, mother, child. Why would I tell you any of those things? Well, I have an agenda, so I'm not going to say any of those things. Ask me again. What do you do, Forbes? I created the greatest fitness product on the planet. You want to see it? Please. See, isn't that funny how I already knew you were going to say yes? I don't ask questions. And the next thing I'm going to do is I'm going to take you and I are sitting on a, on a plane somewhere in a restaurant, and I'm going to blurry put this on your hands. Now, why do I'm doing that? Well, I'm not going to tell you that I'm the pitch queen because where does that go? Who cares? But the next thing I know, within 30 seconds of meeting me, you're like, and then I'll start counting from 10 to 1, and I'll go like this. I'll say, hey, punch out some stress. 
and you'll do another of these, and then I'll take it away before you get to do the other side. You know what happens about 90 seconds, Matt? You're going to say to me, well, how do I get one of those? And I'll say, here, it's 40 bucks. Give me your credit card. Give me cash. <laughs> I got one in my pocket. And now I've made a sale in 90 seconds, but I didn't do just make a sale. I met a person that I didn't know a few minutes ago. You have bought a, you're taking home a piece of me, right? And I'm also going to say to you, by the way, can I call you in a couple of days and give you, or tomorrow, and give you access to some free workout videos? Would that be okay? Absolutely. Now I just got your phone number, mm. which means if I've got you on the phone, hey, Matt, so you loving this? Yeah. So, so what do you, what do you do? <laughs> All right. And by the way, if you need any help with your pitching or blah, 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 come on, I create warm leads out of nothing all day long. I love that. So rather than just tell you what I do, my only goal is to excite, engage, enroll you, get you to pay me for my time. I'm not kidding. Have an agenda. So think about this for you. You meet somebody. Do you make money doing the show? I do. All right. Is that how, is this your primary living? It is not. But you want to be the next Joe Rogan? Not necessarily Joe, more Lewis House. You know what? You know, Lewis and I started out together, right? I have a great Lewis picture. is great. I have a great picture. Lewis found me at an event in Dallas, Texas and took me to my very first mastermind. I didn't even know what a mastermind was. And I have a photo of him and I and Frank Kern and Kevin Nations and Maria Forleo and Maria Buckley, all the whole bunch of people who just started out in the industry who are all now raging superstars. Pretty funny that he identified that. So let's just say Lewis. I actually, I was one of John Lee Dumas's first interviews as well. So John Lee is a good, is a good thing to be. And why do you want to do that? Oh, it lights me up. It's selfish, but it lights me up. Having conversations like this, like, let me backtrack. I used to work for Damon John, right? I had direct mentorship every day, Monday through Sunday. And then after I left that job, I, it's not that I lost it, but I had it less. We still have a great relationship. Having this show allows me to have mentorship to not just Damon, but to now Forbes Riley, to John Lee Dumas, who I've had on this show, the list goes on. So it, it's a little bit of a selfish reason, but having conversations like this lights me up when, and pretty much always we get feedback and it's like, hey man, like this really changed my life. Right. Or like, wow, like what Forbes said on this episode today, it hit home. Okay. This brought me to tears. Like, so th there's more I, to it. So then I would ask, by the way, I'm on tour right now. I don't know if you know, but this weekend, I'm a speaker, one of the keynote speakers at realsummits.com. Damon is a frequent guest and Jack Canfield, Les Brown, Deepak Chopra, Sharon Lecter, and myself. It's kind of cool. Love that. It's very, yeah, it's a very elite group of people and I'm very proud of that. I've never met Damon, however. I would love to. I've worked with Kevin Harrington forever, but Damon's on my list. He knows who I am. In fact, I think, actually, that's not true. Damon and I have spoken on Clubhouse. I have to get in touch with him. But the point of this is, is that's not why you do it. It's not because it lights you up. What do your parents do? My father's a computer consultant. My mom's in finance. Okay. And what is it that you always wanted to be doing with your life? Playing baseball. Totally different realm. <laughs> All right. How far did you get? About to go to college for it, but I tore the labrum in my shoulder. Okay. So that's a good thing because you didn't go down that path. And think about it. If life happens for you, not to you. So you took a different path. Right. And now you're here. And so when you say what you do, you got to get a yes out of people. So you might say, so Matt, what do you do? I currently host a podcast that is that ignites people. And if you're the right person, you'd be a great guest on my show. Mm. Okay. Well, two things. One, I'm going to ask what the name of the show is, or two, I'm going to see if I qualify to be a guest, perhaps. Right. But you really want, now that's an agenda. Now the agenda might be, ask what I do. What do you do, Forbes? No, no, say, call me Matt. What do you do, Matt? So I believe in the human connection and the power of the voice. I host a highly rated podcast with some of the best guests. And we're currently looking for sponsors. Is that something that might be interesting to you? I love that. I love that. Absolutely. That's what I would say to somebody. Not, a, yeah. That's powerful. So. I like how you bring up the word agenda, right? Because oftentimes there's numerous agendas I could personally have when pitching this show. It could be for a guest, like when I yeah. emailed you, it could be for a sponsorship. And most importantly, it could be for listenership, right? Yeah. So I, that's very, very powerful. And I, I definitely appreciate you bringing that to the forefront. I love that. So as, as anyone's listening to this, you always should have an agenda. Now, the agenda, by the way, is not an evil thing. Oh, Emma, you want to just sell me because we can smell that a mile away. That's not a good agenda. My agenda on coming on the show was I am in a position now to ignite the ears of millions. How do I get to those ears? I go on podcasts mm -hmm. and hopefully what I share with you is some things I've never shared before. And I keep dropping nuggets on all the different podcasts I'm on. So people will want to engage, want to follow them. Oh my God, did you hear that? Forbes said this on his, she's never, I've never heard that before. Cool. Or I have an ability to ignite and open up. People are so freaking numb right now. 
I love being controversial. I love pushing buttons. I would love people to wake up. I'd love them to know they a 19-year-old that I'm related to made a million dollars. What did you do during COVID? Hello? Did you complain? Well, stop doing that because there are more billionaires made during COVID. There were those of people who complained you got nowhere. Now is the time to wake up and start enjoying your life. And I right. know that the sound of my voice, given what I've committed my life to, serves to help other people. Well, then all I need to do is get out there and do it. I love this. I only have you for a few more minutes, Forbes. I could probably talk to you for many, many more hours here, but I'm going to ask you one last question. Obviously, you've been on a million and one podcast. It seems like you're doing numerous per day. What's a question you wish more people would ask you? You know, it's a funny thing. I, I don't really listen to the questions. I don't even know. <laughs> uh, no, I don't. And I'm not joking because I have a lot of things to talk about. I have a podcast people who, who want to get on the phone with me. Well, let's do a pre-interview. And I'm like, yeah, no, let's not. I am all about being spontaneous. I only want the question that comes from your heart that you think your listeners want to hear next. I could talk all day. I have stories and videos for days. I have a stage performance that I do so I can get some of them out there. I think I have a book I'm going to write called Stories I Didn't Have Time to Tell on my podcasts. <laughs> you know what? I don't want the questions. I want the person on your end of the of the conversation to be attentive, to be caring, to think about his audience and know why he or she does what they do. I love so, that. You know, you've done a really great job on your side. You have a great voice too. I appreciate that. That's that's one of the biggest compliments I get is my voice. I'm, I mean, I have a radio voice apparently, but I'm like, damn, do I look like I should be on radio or, or what? People leave that part out. No, but it's about, you know, it's about a level of curiosity. And I often ask people, why are they doing their podcast? You know, what is the point of what you're doing? I never want to hear I'm doing something because he pays. It's just right. like you said, it lights you up, it ignites you. You want to meet more people. It's a great excuse, by the way. I have a radio show for the last 20 years to get to connect to people. And I'll give you one last final story about the luckiest kid on the block over here. But I was an actress. By the way, I have a movie out at the moment. Do you know that? I you didn't know that. Go to Amazon Prime and type in Farm to Fork to Love. It's a beautiful, romantic, Hallmark kind of movie. I have a co-starring role as a New York City food critic, and it's just cute as all get out. I have another movie out called How to Train Your Husband. That's also on Netflix. I've been busy. I, I, you know, <laughs> I love what I get to do. But I was just auditioning the way I would always do in, in L.A., and one day it was for Westwood One's Off the Record. Well, Westwood One is the largest syndicator of radio ever. At the time, they had Casey Kasem. They had uh, all the big guys. And... The woman who had the largest show there, her name was Mary Turner. She got to interview classic rock stars. Well, she went off and married the owner of the company, Norm. He was a billionaire. And there was this opening to interview classic rock stars. I don't know anything about music. I don't really care. I love music, but I don't know who makes it. And they sent me in on the audition. And it turns out they love this sense of wild curiosity and naivete. I booked the job. The next thing you know, I'm in rooms, literally small rooms off the record with Foreigner, Singh, Journey, Clapton, George Thurgood, you name Meatloaf, you the whole nine yards. And I found myself asking the silliest questions, like to uh, Walter Becker from Steely Dan. I said, so tell me the name of your band, Steely Dan. And he looks at me, he's like, oh, you know, I'm like, no, no, I don't. He's like, yeah, it's named for a steel dildo. Bam, my ratings went through the roof. I said, forgive me for this, but I, I don't come to this interview as a raging fan. I come to somebody who's really curious to know how you got where you, that's why they like me. And the other thing I don't hear very well. So I kept thinking, I don't hear lyrics, right? Like I make up my own lyrics to things. And before YouTube, who knew what the lyrics were? And because I kept thinking like his song, Babylon Sisters was like two sisters talking, like babbling on. It's not. It's about Babylon, Long Island. It's a place. Oh, no. But then he says to me, he said, that's okay. My wife thought that in the, in the song Bodhisattva, she thought that something about shiny China had something to do with a woman's vagina. And I thought, dude, I love my job. And I will tell you, all the guys came to me and their buzz got around about there's this very naive little girl who will just make you say things you can't believe on radio or tell stories that no one's ever asked because she doesn't know our stories. And I was booked. I mean, I met all, like you said, I got to meet all of these amazing people in a room, just us. Right. And I thought that was like the, that was one of the best jobs I've ever had. It's powerful. It's fun. You know, yeah. it, it most definitely is. You mentioned you have a new book coming out. Can we plug that? Do you want to plug it now? Do you want to? Well, here's, let's see what I can plug. Here, I'll plug a couple of things. One, ever since COVID hit every Sunday at five o'clock live, I do a two hour Pitch Secrets Masterclass. So www Pitch Secrets Masterclass. Awesome. And in that arena, I will... Usually not about a hundred people show up for training. I will work with you. I'll ask you some questions. I will get you to pitch. I'll teach some of my major raging secrets. I mean, I've literally grossed $1.2 million in a day's worth of sales. I will share that with you about what I did and how you can translate that to your online course. I do have another course. I have a whole training called GSD. GSD stands for get you done. 
I knew that was coming. WWWGSD with Forbes. We GSD an ebook. We GSD an online course. We GSD a funnel. We'll GSD your email list. We'll GSD how to hire all that work out overseas so you don't have to do it all. My daughter and I built this program. It's amazing. Why it's unlike anything anyone's ever done. You know how you'll take a course, they'll talk about theories? Right. No, you open, it's an online course, but you open it up and it's like, you look at it on one side, put your, your computer screen on the other side and go. It teaches you how to brainstorm. It teaches you how to lay it out. It teaches you how to, what button, button to press to upload. I mean, everything that you would need. We just launched this. We had 500 students go through the training. I have 100 eBooks in our eBook in, in literally three weeks, 100. Wow. People who've never written anything before. So that is exciting. If you want to get shit done, just come hang out with me. I've got a private Facebook group and all of the things I'm mentioning. You go to my name, ForbesRiley.com, and you'll learn about everything I've got going on. I love that. I'm going to make sure those links are in the show notes so people could easily ex- access them. All of the socials and all that good stuff will be in there too. But Forbes, thank you for this. This has been incredible. Absolutely love it. Hope to have you back soon. That's for sure. I'm all open for part two. I've got you. Got lots of fun things to share. And by the way, I'm also, you know, I have my own show. You want to be on that? You have to pitch me. What do you do? I love that. I love that. (laughs) Forbes, thank you again. Absolutely incredible. All right, Matt. Thank you, my darling. Bye-bye. Bye, everybody. You have just tuned into the Decoding Success podcast featuring our friend Forbes Riley. And before diving into anything, I want to announce a couple things here. Number one, Forbes is super high energy, super high vibe. There are people in your life that need that type of energy, to be exposed to that type of energy, to know that it exists and it is possible for them. And one way it's possible for them is to be exposed to it, right? Because it can become contagious. So what I'm asking you to do here is making sure that you're sharing this. Make sure you share this episode with the people that are in your life that may need Forbes energy that may need her vibe or even beyond that they may need her expertise whether we're talking about sales whether we're talking about becoming a sum of all of the obstacles we overcome in life there were so many golden nuggets in this episode so i just want to urge you to make sure that you are sharing it secondly i'm going to ask you to leave a rating and review if you have not done that yet we kind of stopped pushing this but we really should be pushing it ratings and reviews help us so much especially if you're on apple or spotify or Castbox or wherever you may be, leaving a rating and review helps us get people just like Forbes on the show. Now you might think, oh, well, you're already doing a great job at that. And yeah, we believe that as well. But the truth of the matter is we want to hear your take. We want to hear your opinion. We're not asking you for five stars. We're just asking you for your general opinion, feedback on how we can improve the show, where the show is great, how it could be better, what we could do more of, less of, whatever the case is, we want to hear from you. This is a community and we want your contribution to the community so that we can make the changes we need to make to continue to impact the people we want to impact. Now, with all of that being said, if you want to connect with Forbes, you can do so in the show notes of this episode where you will find her socials, websites, courses, books, all of that good stuff. And we will see you back here next Wednesday, each and every Wednesday when we release episodes. Until next time, everyone, be blessed. Peace.